and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. In keeping with current practices, Dana is busy with a financial aid event on campus, so I'm taking care of the news on my own today. But Dana will join us again on the Friday show. So let's get started with today's. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's start the show off with our first cups. And today is a new coffee, some kind of brownie donut, something, something I'm drinking here, which uh, does have that kind of sweet smell to it. It's what I, you know, it's one of these things when you're buying your groceries and, you know, you got to get some K-cups for the office coffee machine and there's a variety of people in the office, you buy a variety of coffee. And it's kind of one of those, like the spaghetti thing. You see what sticks. You know, you throw it to the wall and see what sticks. So we'll see if anyone else drinks this or if I'm going to be the only one drinking this particular one. Others have their specifics that they like. Uh, I don't mind trying something new every once in a while. Guess nothing um, super tart or bitter or any of that stuff, you know. I like my coffee a little more regular. So today is a regular news day on the show. So we got a number of news items coming out, and let's start with a couple from NASFA. First, every fall, NASFA staff provides their annual impact report to their board of directors and members. The reports are based on associations July 1st to June 30th fiscal year and summarize their activities and progress in a number of service areas, including training, public policy, advocacy, member services, Outreach, conferences, live site events, and more. So if you wanted to know, their 2020-2021 annual impact report has been released. I'll give you a link to it on the show notes. Easy enough to find. And for NASA members or others who want to know what's going on at the national level with our national association, check it out. Also, coming from NASFA, in planning for their 2022 conference, plan to be down in Texas in Austin, June 26th through the 29th. They are looking, of course, for presenters and moderators. So, submission window is open right now for presenters, and in particular, presentations. So... The conference program task force will review all submissions and make selections uh, for the program. So submitters will be notified after the selection process. Proposals, this is the big thing here. Proposals must be received by Sunday, October 31st. It's easy enough. You can submit a, a session proposal online. I'll give you the link in the show notes um, uh, so you have that. So, you know, if there's a topic out there you want to present on, 
and you know it's financial aid related of course consider doing it on a national stage i've been to nasa's conferences they have great presentations whether they're the big general sessions or these little breakout ones you know consider presenting uh to your fellow compatriots across the u.s Tuning away from NASA for now because we'll have other stuff from them later in the show. Some information from Federal Student Aid. Those people over at the Department of Ed, they just put out that for a 2021 Virtual Federal Student Aid Training Conference, registration is open. So this announcement came out just a week ago. Maybe I missed it. <laughs> that's, that's why we're talking about it today. But registration for the virtual Federal Student Aid Training Conference is open. So you can go to the FSA Conferences website to register there online. It's virtual. It'll be held November 30th through December 2nd. You know, the keynote address here always comes from Department of Ed. There'll be five general sessions, three foreign school sessions, because, you know, there are some foreign schools out there that can offer federal Title for aid and 26 breakout sessions. Going beyond just financial aid policy, of course, things like COVID related impacts, operational updates, and more will be discussed at a number of different sessions. So definitely check out the link we'll give to you. It's an electronic announcement that came out on October 18th about the conference that the FSA puts on. I really hope at some point, you know, we'll get back to in-person ones. This conference is usually very large. Uh, last time I went was in uh, Vegas a number of years ago, and I think they had over 6,000, nearly 7,000 people at the conference. Definitely worthwhile. Continuing uh, with news from FSA. Uh, annual reminder here, active confirmation of TG numbers for your SAIG mailboxes and electronic services user accounts is required by December 10th. If all of that sounds foreign to you, you're a lucky person. You don't work in financial aid and have to worry about this. But in short, what it is is you know, to ensure security of the federal student aid's data systems, every organization that's enrolled in their student aid internet gateway, or SAIG, uh, and if you have one of these accounts, is required to review and validate its assigned TG numbers and electronic services user accounts. So what it is, is every employee that has access to a Title IV aid information system has a TG number. I don't remember what TG stands for anymore. But basically, it's a it's a number assigned to the person so that when they access things, they have a, a username and password and all, and it's tied to them. And then every school has its own TG number that people can get assigned to. I guess the idea there is that conceivably a person could have access for more than, say, one school. Um that's a possibility. But what they need you to do is before December 10th, and this comes around every year late in October, and this was an electronic announcement just from last week, reminding the 
basically the primary contacts, the financial aid directors, to go out and confirm who is still active on their list. Knowing that, you know, a lot of people have retired in the last year or so, and others may have moved on to other jobs, this is a perfect time to do this. It's always a good time to clean up because this would be, you know, access otherwise the systems like the National Student Loan Data System or NSLDS, Central Processing System, CPS, Common Origination and Disbursement, or some call it COD, I call it COD system. And lastly, the Financial Management System or FMS. All federal aid related systems that you have to have set uh, access to. So don't forget to do that. It's a simple process to go in and do. You basically get a list of all your people that are um, associated with your organization. You can, from there, decide whether to validate and keep them or delete them, uh, again, for your retirees and all. I'll give you a link to the electronic announcement in our show notes. Lastly, something more uh, consumer-oriented. Uh, Federal Student Aid has created something called the Federal Student Aid Estimator. So what it does is it does what it says. It provides an estimate of what financial student aid or federal student aid you as a student may be eligible to receive. Now, of course, to apply, you just do the federal aid form, the FAFSA. But this is a form that's aimed at, you know, students, parents, college access professionals, you know, like uh, counselors and all, want to get an early estimate of what aid may be available. So, again, it takes about, according to them, their estimate is about five to ten minutes, probably a little bit longer. You will need some tax return information and information potentially from your parents if you're under 24, not married. And some information on some of your assets. But basically, the estimator, the idea of it is that, you know, based upon answer to just a few questions, it's going to try to calculate what's called an expected family contribution or EFC. This is, it's current terminology, and this number, this uh, will change in a couple years to a new name. I won't uh, give you a spoil, the, uh, uh, give you a surprise on that. But in a sense, that EFC, expected family contribution, is an estimate of what your family could afford to pay towards the year of college. So that's why we give all the information that the FAFSA asks for as far as income and taxes paid assets, etc. It's calculating that. So <clears throat> without doing a whole FAFSA, by entering some of the information, it'll calculate an estimate of that. And in a sense, that number then drives everything else. How high or low your EFC is determines how much Pell Grant you can get. Also, when compared to the estimated cost of what it goes to, to for a given school, like let's say you're thinking of going to uh, a Cal State University, and the estimated cost for the year is about $27,000. Now, again, tuition and fees is only a, a portion of that, but we can take into consideration housing costs, uh, room and board, you know, books and supplies, all those things to estimate out a full year. 
But if we compare then that EFC to that number, that kind of gives us an idea of how much financial need a student has for things like financial aid. And of course, we always start with the federal government first because they're the main providers of everything from grants like the federal Pell Grant, federal work study for those who may work on campus, federal student loans, and of course, federal parent loans. Of course, here in the state of California, which unfortunately this financial aid estimator would not do, would be trying to estimate out Cal Grant consideration. But at least this is a good starting step. So we'll uh, give you a link to this in case you haven't heard of it, or uh, you may want to refer students to it. We got some other articles coming up here, but I think it's time for a little bit of music. And then we'll continue on with some more information from our friends at NASFA. And just like that, we are back for what else but our second cup segment. So this was something I found kind of interesting out on NASA's website. So they have a whole section known as their knowledge base. And in a sense, it's kind of like an FAQ, uh, just gigantic on uh, different questions. And a part of this is what they call their ask regs. And so somebody at NASFA will research a topic, depending upon the question, uh, to offer up as much as they can, including regulatory uh, guidance as far as where things come from. And so <clears throat> this seemed very timely here because this, uh, uh, this, is here, uh, this guidance was updated after the Department of Ed updated their electronic announcement on October 15th. So this is relatively new. And the question that was posed is, how is the $10,200-$20,400 in unemployment compensation that is excluded from 2020 taxable income reported on the FAFSA? So these are the types of questions that, you know, a financial aid expert needs to know. Because it says here, and the first part, luckily, is a good answer. It should not be reported anywhere on the FAFSA. If it is, remove it. And so the long explanation in short is, you know, for the 2020 tax year, the American Rescue Plan allowed taxpayers who earn less than $150,000 in modified adjusted gross income to exclude from taxable income any unemployment compensation up to $20,400 if married uh, and filing jointly. You got to do both. And up to 10200 for all other eligible taxpayers, like single taxpayers, married, filing separately, etc. So <clears throat> for taxpayers who filed their tax returns prior to the enactment of this, they may have a higher adjusted gross income that is inaccurate now. And they also may have reported amounts as untaxed income on their FAFSA because that can get very confusing. There's a number of different questions on the FAFSA that talk about untaxed income. And it's always a question, well, what is that? It's not just income that might be untaxed because you didn't file a tax return. It might be untaxed because you filed a tax return, but you have certain sources of income that don't need to be taxed. Certain types of disability income, Social Security, welfare benefits are not taxed always. Unemployment kind of toes the line in between 
sometimes it is, but obviously with this American American Rescue Plan, part of it wasn't. So I'm not going to give you the full answer here, but if you're wondering, uh, again, because this could involve a number of different issues underneath, I'll give you the link to the NASFA Ask Regs item on this. One last thing from NASFA. This is under their pop quizzes section. Uh, this is an interesting one. What is the order of return of funds from a stale data check? So this is for an example of a school's received a returned check for students who failed to cash a credit balance. You know, you get your financial aid. Normally, we pay off the balance at the school. And especially at community colleges like CISFA represents. Many of our students get more aid than what their direct costs are. And so we send them a cash credit balance. So in this scenario here, when returning funds back to the source if the student declines, is there an order of operations? And so according to this, no, there isn't. Like it says here, for example, if a student had like a credit balance of $300 and 100 was from Pell Grant and 200 from, say, the student loan, you know, the school would return those amounts to the corresponding programs. But if the refund does not contain any federal funds, there is no Title IV, impl- Title IV is the federal aid. Implications, no regulation would apply. You know, this would be maybe if all they got was state funds, scholarships, or other things like that. So a little interesting note there. I'll pass along the direct link to this. There's other pop quizzes out on their website. Not a bad idea to take yourself through a few just to see how up to date you are. Some news off the national front from NPR. Uh, For those who are following politics a lot closer than I am right now, uh, and I do follow it normally, something about... uh, Something on a national level is, you know, as the Biden administration has been putting forth a spending bill and there's a lot of talk of that in Congress and the Senate. One of the things NPR just posted a few days ago here is that White House drops free community college from its spending bill. Again, as much as it may have been a priority. And it says here, you know, both progressive and moderate Democrats confirmed to NPR that two free years of community college will likely not make it into the final package of priorities. Other higher ed provisions included in the original bill, like expanding Pell Grants for low-income students, money for college completion and vocational programs, are still on the table. So, you know, when you've heard about, like, the $3.5 trillion or the $1.5 trillion spending plan on some of these things, this is kind of where it was all wrapped up. Uh, free community college, though, again, we've talked about it before on the show. It was a fairly complicated process of student, uh, I'm sorry, state-level investment, which could cost some states a significant amount of money, uh, and then they would get a certain amount of money from the feds, um, appears not to be uh, coming through. Here in California, I don't know if that was much of an issue, because after all, consider about half of our students at least across the state, get free community college. We have what used to be called the fee waiver, the BOG, Board of Governors fee waiver, turned into the California College Promise Grant. 
covers a student's tuition. But just as we've talked, and there will be more reports out there for sure, tuition and fees may not be the only costs a student has to worry about. There's books, supplies, living costs, all those other things that allow them to go to school. And again, if they are offered enough aid and have a big enough cash credit balance coming, help them go to school on hopefully a full-time basis so that they work less and get through school quicker. But for now, at least on the federal level, this free community college idea may have to take the back burner. And then lastly, one last news item for today. Coming from the Community College Daily website, which is part of the, uh, or the I should say it's, uh, it's like the newspaper. I used to get this at one time. And then you know how newspapers in actual paper form disappeared? This one did too. This one comes out from the American Association of Community Colleges, just reporting that California moves the needle on dual enrollment. So there's a new report showing how a change in some state policy has helped boost participation and equity in the programs. So um, one of these uh, research centers up there at the University of California, Davis, examined how a bill enacted by state lawmakers back in 2016 has provided a framework through which more opportunities for dual enrollment could be embedded in high school students' regular courses. And dual enrollment is that. It's high school students also doing college-level credit classes, and so we call it dual enrollment. Uh, so it looks at uh, this looked at it overall um, and saw that there were some definite gains here. So in California, high school students represent an increasing share of community college enrollment, according to the report, indicating that at present uh, nearly 14% of all courses in the community college system, um, so that high school students are present in 14% or more of the of courses at the community colleges. It says here, overall, dual enrollment participation among high school students has increased from 11.3% in the 2015-16 year, 18.2% in 18-19. So that's just good numbers. And why? Uh, well, first of all, they can get the classes for free if they're dual enrolled and they're not going literally full-time community college and, of course, high school at the same time. Uh, just because of ways, it's a wacky little thing. If they're taking less than full-time, they're good. But it also means that they're earning, hopefully, some college-level credit. And there are certainly students who come in then to college after graduating high school with maybe a year or two's worth of college credit already earned if they stayed on target. So, again, they're saving time and money, accelerating their way through. And, again, you know, what better way to do it if you're really focused and maybe, uh, you know, you have the time available to you. So I'm going to give you a link to this, to the ccdaily.com article on this. Uh, if you want to read about other things regarding community college, not a bad idea to go out there and look at it. Every, occasionally they have things on financial aid, but a lot of stuff on academics also come out from the association. I think that's the last of our news, so why don't we take another little musical trip, work our way into our last segment.
And like that, we're back for, of course, what other segment could it be than the last sip? That is a sound effect that can never make it quite that noisy. That's as noisy as I can make it. Uh, so this is normally where, you know, me and uh, me and Dana would do some I dare you twos. I don't know if I really have any I dare you twos right now other than to, I, I guess I could dare people out there to um, switch gears, you know, uh, for at least California. The baseball season is all over. You know, it ended for some teams a little earlier uh, a few weeks ago. And, of course, for our Dodgers out here in Southern California, just ended last week. So, time to switch gears, everybody. And pick your NBA team. You know, we've got plenty of those in Southern and Northern California. And, of course, we have football. We're about six, seven weeks into the NFL. About the same number of weeks into uh, college balls, but... uh, and, of course, there's other sports going on, too. But, you know, I guess dare you to maybe watch a little bit of sports just so you have something to say to other people. But, you know, as always, uh, stay tuned on your music choices that you get from me and Dana also. That's really about all I have for today. But don't worry. We'll have another episode come the end of this week. So I do want to thank everyone for tuning in today. And if you have something to say or you have topics you want us to discuss, email us at wbcsva at gmail.com. For this and all your What's Moving CSFA podcasts, find us on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of Dana Yarbrough and myself. This has been episode number 133, recorded Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Have a great day, everyone, and have a great week. <laughs>